welcome to Wisdom Exchange TV. We are interviewing women leaders internationally who have a social impact in their communities and beyond. I'm Suzanne F. Stevens, Conscious Contribution Cultivator for the Yumi We Social Impact Group and your host. In each episode, we'll provide actionable conscious contributions, insights to create a social impact to empower you, your organization, and your community. Lots of learning and inspiration, all to make your contribution count. We invite you to join the conversation and post questions on our guest's exclusive Wisdom Exchange TV page. Let's welcome our guest this week, B. A. Link, founder of the A. Linker Innovation Limited. B. is the innovator of the A. Linker Walking Bike, which she refers to as a vehicle of change. The A. Linker is a non-motorized walking bike without pedals with an adjustable saddle and handlebars. It is custom designed to challenge society's assumption about disability. B's reverse design practice philosophy led to the A-Linker, which is not built for a body with a problem, but for who we are, active and engaged. B employs A-Linker users, otherwise unemployed, and pays everybody a living wage, including herself. The A-Linker has certified B Corp status, is a CEO venture, is more than carbon neutral and practically plastic free. The A-Linker company is built to create access to health by building access to mobility, community, and healthy food. Well, I am so excited, B, to have you here. So big welcome to you. And I'm finally, we've got this chance to sit down. I know how busy you are with your social enterprise. So just to get us started, what was the catalyst for you starting A-Linker? Oh, um, how far do you want me to go back? Because everything that is lead that has led up to that moment um, made that moment significant. And the moment was that my mom said, over my dead body, will I ever use one of those things? And she pointed at rollators and um, electrical scooters. And with that comment, you know, you don't think of something until somebody launches it in your viewfinder. With that comment, I made, I was made aware that medical devices are a technical solution for a body with a problem. Now, we are not a body with a problem. We are active, engaged human beings who want to stay active and engaged regardless of a mobility issue. So that's what got got me started. And underneath that is justice. (laughs) The injustice of being dismissed or judged on having a body with a problem the moment you have you know, miss a leg or walk a little bit wonky because of MS that didn't feel right. Did your mother actually have an, a physical disability? Well, she was an aging woman being my mum, and I was late 40s, 50 or something when she said that in 2011. And so being an aging woman, becoming more aware of what's ahead of you, the older you are, the less um, time you have ahead of you and the more mobility challenge she had ahead of you and so she was reflecting on her own near future and then she was like yeah with my dad buddy I'll ever use one of those things you're not gonna happen. I find that quite interesting and the reason is it was a thought she didn't have a need she had a thought and you capitalized on that and then thought beyond her of people who actually would have a need and decided to fill a social gap. So tell us a little bit about that, as you mentioned, social injustice. So talk a little bit about that as a motivator. Being a person myself with disabilities in certain times of my life, and I've 
been a lot around people with disabilities. 20% of us is living with disabilities. It's not like a small minority somewhere. It's one out of five people, really. Many of the disabilities are invisible by either being an invisible, like pain, chronic pain is an invisible disability, but many of the disabilities are, are invisible because people sit alone at home because that's what our society does. We dismiss people, we isolate them, we drive them into poverty very often, and then you don't see them in the street. I was once asked like, why would you create a linker? Like, why would people, what, what is the problem with accessible airports? There's no people with disability traveling. I was like, that's right, because the airports are not accessible. You know, like people don't understand because it's not in their viewfinder how, how prevalent that is and how, what life is at the receiving end of our sick care system that drives you into poverty and into isolation. If there's anything that I've learned in this is company is that isolation is a way bigger problem than any of the physical stuff that people are dealing with. We don't know what's a problem if we don't see it, but that's the problem that we don't see them. That actually is the bigger problem. What steps did you take to start this social initiative? Well, I had this idea like I have to be able to come up with something better. That was my, my thought. I wanted to make something that at least my mom would want to use. My mom being a very stubborn Dutch woman was, she's passed last, last year. If I can make something that she would even use, then then we're off to the off to the races. Then it will work. Like that 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 whole word social enterprise or social entrepreneur. I've never I've never set out to be a social entrepreneur. I, I actually I've never set out to be an entrepreneur or a CEO of my business for that reason. I just followed what came up. I followed the energy. I there's an idea, there's an injustice. I'm starting messing around with prototypes. I found a, a welder who translated my, I'm a woodworker and restoration architect. So I made my first models in wood and then he had to translate that in aluminum. And, and then the first people that started using the Alinker, uh, the conceptual prototypes. And then the first guy who was on it was 80 something years old. And he flipped his cap around and he leaned forward and he started running. And he said, I haven't run in 20 years. And I was like, holy crap. Wow. Um, if an 80 something guy can run again, then this is a little bit different than just a thing that my mom would use. And then I, with prototype four, I made 14 in total. With prototype four, Haruna, who was an exchange student from Japan uh, with muscular dystrophy, had never walked in her whole adult life, asked if she could try it. And we had to help her on it because she'd lost already so much muscle mass. And then she started walking and she kept, and I still get emotional when I think about that moment. She said, I feel so tall. I feel so tall. Mm. Because her life and her perspective was from a wheelchair, looking up at people and being looked down on or overlooked. And then I learned that more than half the people that use wheelchairs can still use their legs there's just nothing designed for them to be at eye level or to use their legs. Hmm. That to me blew my, to say that in a Canadian expression, that blew my took off. <laughs> I was like, what? The thing is we see things, these are the choices. Is it a chicken or the egg? We don't see more than just the chicken or the egg because that was the question. So if we see crutches, a wheelchair and a rollator, we think crutches, wheelchair and rollator. We don't see that there might be something missing that we didn't have yet because nobody thought that way. Chicken and egg, there's chicks, right? So the question 
focuses us in this is what's available until you go beyond it and then there's a lot more possible. If you're over 40, you didn't set out to be a social entrepreneur. You either, you saw a problem and you fixed it. And all the, the women I interviewed in, particularly in Africa, they, they've been social entrepreneurs for 30 some odd years and mm -hmm. that word didn't even exist, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so I ex know exactly what you're saying. I would like to rephrase that, that you say identifying a problem and you fixed it. I didn't fix a problem. I didn't identify a problem. What oh, I identified is that whatever is there is, is designed for a body with a problem. What I did is like, how do we want to live? I want to design for people. So I didn't design a solution for a problem because I don't think we are a problem. Did you ask the prospective beneficiaries of the A-Linker, would they want to look eye to eye? Like, did you ask them any questions in order to design the A-Linker. I, I asked thousands of people the input. The initial concept was not, that just came out of my head. When my mom said over my dead body, will I reuse one of those things? I started looking at mobility aids. And I was like, that's a technical solution for a body with a problem. We're not a body with a problem. And then you look at rollers, people are hunched over and they're like, uh, and I was like, oh, weight is a problem because they're trying to lean off their weight. In a wheelchair, you lean off your weight by sitting. And then sometimes you see people in a wheelchair using their legs to scoot forward to like, okay, I need to get rid of the weight. So on a seat would be nice. But I do want to use the legs because that has very crucial benefits if you can use your legs to your brain as well. And then the stability two wheels, so an overarching frame with a seating assembly, so you walk on wheels at, at eye level, and then stability, two wheels in the back, you would kick into that, so two wheels in the front, one in the back. That's kind of in conceptual prototypes, and from that moment on, from prototype one, that I just described the old gentleman, gentleman who got on there, throughout all the prototypes, and the concept came out of me. All the rest is... Um, by checking experiences and, and me learning about the people out there and what they're dealing with and what the experience is differently on the Alinker. And that's quite, quite substantial, still it blows me away. Our typical customer is stubborn, <laughs> doesn't want to settle for anything that that's out there. There has to be something better. The, the best description of our customers is people that are active and identify with being active and they happen to have some kind of mobility challenges. Most people do have a mobility challenge. There's no age, like, there's no segments that are in, that you can in, in target, for example, in Facebook ads or something that relate to the linker because it's a mindset thing. Now I have to say about 15% of our customers is 65 plus. So it's not an elderly walking aid. I think that will change as the baby boomers age into retirement because there are different group of people they were raised with in a different world and they might have a different mindset. They've been used to being very active people and they want to stay active. The mountain bike was invented by Gary Fisher, for example, who is one of those aging <laughs> baby boomers. That's a different generation because they grew up with mountain bikes where the people that are now say 70 plus or something, that's a different group.
The early adopters are typically not 70 plus. You have created a community also with A-Linker owners uh, to work out together. What else has the community provided and what kind of impact is it having on the beneficiaries of your product? Community comes out of understanding the, the system that is currently called the healthcare system, but I don't think is a healthcare system. It's reactive and it kicks in once we're sick and we need a sick care system because we do get sick. How that works, it's a whole different issue. But if you talk about health, that's not a healthcare system. So I've then sort of explored like what is a healthcare system? It's mobility, community and healthy food. In the current setting, we generally have don't have access to mobility or access to community or access to healthy food by how the systems are set up. And what I said earlier, like people are driven into poverty the moment you get a diagnosis. Typically, the doctor says to you, get used to the idea of a wheelchair, here's your medication, and good luck with that. When people then see the linker and they want it, now they're in isolation and not with the resources to buy an linker. Generally, you lose your job, you lose people in your environment, you lose your partner because they didn't sign up for this uncomfortable situation. I hear that a lot. And, um, and you lose your network, so you've got nowhere to go. You've got no support anymore. So we have integrated in our company, we've integrated crowdfunding platform so that people, individuals can do, can share their story of why they are crowdfunding so we can learn about what it is to be at the receiving end of the sick care system. And then, so their generosity to share the stories, we can now share, show up for for each other and donate to the campaign, help those people generate the funds together so we can ship them in a linker. So the campaigns are set up so that people don't deal with money because if you're on disability, for example, you get penalized if you collect money so you can't do a crowdfunding campaign. So the campaigns are set up that once it's completed, um, we ship you in a linker and that cannot be penalized. We hire a linker users to do those campaigns or ex-campaigners and we have to date completed 158 campaigns, which is unbelievable because all those people that did campaigns were in that situation of being isolated, having lost their support networks, and now had strangers show up to help them get their linkers. Then when they get the linkers and the engagement online and we're, we're or asking them to be part of a live Instagram or whatever, all of a sudden they have people around the world that care for them. And they're like, what happened? that creates community and that creates access to mobility for those 158 people already. And it creates a community of people just showing up for each other. You don't need to be rich to just show up in kindness. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that resonates with us that we understand, but it's kind of lacking in the world outside that we've created. Now, your background is engineering. You've worked in several countries from Kosovo, Kenya, Sudan, Afghanistan. You're from the Netherlands. Yep, I was and born and raised in the Netherlands, yeah. So what made you create the A-Linker Innovation in Canada? It's a bit of a journey. <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in the Netherlands and I never felt home in the Netherlands. And that's a long story. There were two major things that happened in my life. One, I was eight when my father died and everybody disappeared around us. Mm. And as an eight-year-old girl, I understood that people are so uncomfortable talking about death or showing up for us that they chose their own comfort over showing up for us. 
I didn't, <laughs> I learned a lot about people in that time, I have to say, obviously. But as an eight-year-old girl, I understood what was happening. Um, and then I'm a gender weirdo. I'm not a typical boy, not a typical girl. And I always felt a stranger um, in my own culture. And I expect to be a stranger in a different culture, but I don't expect to be a stranger in my own culture. And I never understood why I felt so different. So I think one of the reasons to go into international work was that I put myself as a white person in black Africa. So I was in charge of being the weirdo now. Now I could see it coming because I put myself as a different person in a situation where I was not um, <laughs> as the others, as were in my own culture. I didn't understand why I didn't fit. Because it was my culture. Shouldn't I, shouldn't I fit? Because it's my culture? No. So I think one of the reasons to go into international work was that I was in charge of being a weirdo now. I could see it coming. And that led to 10 years international work. And that started in the end of 98. I sold my home and stopped being an architect and left the Netherlands. And that turned into 10 years international work reconstruction. I'm a woodworker architect and have an engineering diploma. What drew you to Canada? I had visited Canada once and, um, and really liked it. And after 10 years international work, I learned so much about the hidden agendas of donors that it became life-threatening for me to know more about it <laughs> and to stay longer in that situation. I didn't want to go back to the Netherlands. Mm. After 10 years, I was like, I, I, I cannot go back to a country that is so small. And like, we always have the idea about how free and tolerant the Netherlands is. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's very conservative and it's extremely small. And because it's a tiny little country, but it also thinks very small. Certain things are extraordinary in innovations and whatever. Like if I go to the Netherlands now and I'm there a little bit longer, I get a completely suffocating feeling. But being that you are Canadian, one of the things I, that really struck me is your email signature. So in addition to a Laker innovation, you also take an active role and are vocal in indigenous rights. Matter of fact, at the bottom of your email, and this is more for the audience than for you, it actually says build bridges, promote indigenous entrepreneurs and their businesses and do our own inner work to understand and acknowledge who we represent. Can you share how you promote indigenous people and also how you do the inner work? There's one event that, that um, made me feel that I'm in North America, and that happened in, in San Francisco. It's not related to indigenous people, but I have to give that as an example how it, how it started. We're white people on this planet, and I was used 10 years international work. I was used to being the white person in Kenya, in Afghanistan, in Indonesia. So I knew a little bit about the power of white people, colonial background. I was quite aware of that. And you think you're very aware. And then I was at a conference, the, the Business Alliance for Local um, Economies, the ballet conference in, uh, in San Francisco years ago now. And one of my dear friends, uh, Conda Mason, who's a black activist from Oakland, I'm, she was gonna speak there. I'm here in this 200 people or something. I'm between the white people. There's the Hispanic people, there's the black people. And I was like, how is this separation possible? Like if, if any 
group of people is the hope for a better future, it's here. It's the Business Alliance for Local Economies. And the separation was excruciating. I was like, what is going on here? Konda was with the black people because she's a black woman, black activist. And so I walked over to Konda and I nearly viscerally felt that I had to sort of pass through a threshold. And I said to Konda, like, what the is going on here with the separation? She said, I know, but wait, I'm going to do a little talk here. So she actually addressed separation in a little half hour keynote. And she was talking about all sorts of racial issues. And then she made us do one practice. And the practice was lean to the person to the right and to the left and share in the, between the three of you how far you can think back of your ancestry. And of course, I'm sitting with black people now because I moved over to the other side of the, of the, of the room. And um, those two black women, they shared like uh, Georgia, <laughs> amputated past slavery. The other one says, ha, 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 Alabama, amputated past slavery. And I said, well, 1500 something, the Netherlands and all in the same village of farmers. Um, and it's so interesting to learn about your history. And then one of them leans into me and she said, it's your history too. And I was like, oh my God, it's not who I think I am. It is what I represent within and it was such an super emotional eye opener, heart opener. It's like, I am not what I think I am. And I'd been 10 years in international work in countries, very aware of that I'm not who I am, but how I'm being perceived, especially in a country like Afghanistan, where it's very important how you're being perceived. You can think you come with peace and da da da. If they perceive you as an American, you're you're messed up. You're dead. So I was very aware of how you're being perceived. Yet I had not applied that to me as a white person being in North America. That was the start of my my inner work. Like, who am I in this situation with those people that I'm with now? Why am I surrounded with just white people? So in my entry into uh, Canada and learning to live into Canada was like, on whose land am I here? Because this is not my land. This is not white people's land. Uh, we're celebrating Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving? What's underneath there? And I started researching what, what is taken for granted. Like white people are apparently the mainstream, whatever that means, but it never felt right. Since I'm part of the CEO network, I have met many more uh, indigenous women uh, and, and women entrepreneurs. I'm part of, a, of the Lift Circle, which is a, um, an indigenous circle in which I was invited in um, to meet twice a week, um, to explore and to share up with, with each other, like how can we support each other in, in a world where women entrepreneurs are generally not so supported. I mean, less than 3% of venture capital money goes to women entrepreneurs. We're not a minority, by the way. And so um, being part of, um, of the lift circle of CEO, um, I, I, we have a practice of starting with the land acknowledgement because it is important that we acknowledge on whose land we are. Because colonialism 
and um, abuse of indigenous people is not something from the past. It's very much living history. Many of my friends in the lift circle are residential school survivors themselves, are part of the 60 scoop. Like they're, they're living, they're living, it's not history, it's living history among us. And um, the missing and murdered indigenous women. I mean, it's an ongoing thing and it's in everything that we do. And when I relate to inner work, it is, I am a white supremacist because I was brought up and conditioned in a white supremacist system, like everybody else in the white supremacist. Doesn't matter if you're looking white, we're all raised in a white supremacist system that conditioned us to think in certain power dynamics, race dynamics, um, good and bad dynamics, scary or okay dynamics. And the way the human brain works is like we learn something, even if it's a bad thing, if it's abused, it doesn't matter. We learn something when we see it three times, the brain is like, oh, there's a pattern. Let's put it in a pattern. Now I don't need to learn it anymore. And so when we learn anything, we put it as soon as there's repetition, our brain puts it in a pattern and the, the pattern is comfortable and it's there so we can learn, continue to learn um, because we don't need to relearn everything that we go through. That's just how the human brain works. Now, the white supremacist system has now said like, you have the right to comfort. So with a state of not learning, <laughs> right? Because the comfort of the pattern is where we are in a, that's not learning, that's not growing. And now we have the right to that comfort. It sort of gets us in a, in a situation where we have the right not to learn or grow. And that's sort of messed up. The system lives here. Mm. I am trained in white supremacy, so I am a white supremacist and I will act upon that as long as I am conditioned that way. Un unless I break the circle of knowing how conditioned I am and reconditioning myself to do something else. That's, that's inner awareness and that's a huge process because I don't want to uphold a system that is criminal. So. <laughs> Yeah, everything starts with work at home, right? Like mm -hmm. everything, that's consciousness. Everything starts there, 100%. Mm -hmm. And then you, can, then you can make change. But at the same time, it goes back to your earlier story. Even in the process of change, you're, we're not perfect. We, we still are constantly learning and we may misstep. And we're seeing a lot of missteps right now. <laughs> what has been one of the biggest challenges in establishing a linker to the point that you have success today? Mindset. <laughs> it's very simple. Like the, the medical system is not, not designed for our wellness. So everything, everything about the linker challenges the mindset of how we think, how we're taught to think. Okay. Because people say like, I just want to, you know, that's uncomfortable. I, I need to work. Where's the on button? <laughs> and the medical system, I literally had a physiotherapist tell me like, that would take my job away, wouldn't it? Because we have a medicating medical system that, may, that is designed to make money over sick people. So agency and independence is actually 
we think that might be health, but that's actually not the aim of the current system. So you need to do something else together, not try and fix that system because it's very successful. Just turn around and do something else together. So what advice would you provide to people to ensure that whatever you do or whatever contribution you make, call it social enterprise, social issue, environmental, economic, that it has a conscious impact on the beneficiary. Do you have any advice in that regard? Every time you say you want to help somebody, go underneath that and see what's underneath there. Because I think, like I do that very often with people, they say, like, I just want to help people. It's like, what's underneath there? The end result of a few times questions, if you go level, level, level deeper, it's often like, I want to be that person that I never had. So there's a healing going on. If you want to help, and if you focus on the external thing, you're trying to fix problems and seeing people as problems to fix. They're not problems to fix. You need to heal because the system in which we were raised is traumatizing because we're not in relation, we're not in community, and it's a traumatizing system. That is one thing that goes back to the why I'm supporting and in uh, relationship with uh, indigenous women entrepreneurs is because I think the deep indigenous values are actually, <laughs> they resonate deeply with me. I don't call myself an indigenous person, but in fact, we are all indigenous people. We've just lost our way with systems that started making money over us. So we need to remember who we are and what actually resonates deep down inside of me. I'm home with indigenous people because they resonate with things that actually I deeply understand, I deeply know in my body. Is there anything in building a linker that's made you uncomfortable, but if you didn't do it, you wouldn't have the impact on the beneficiary that you've had today? I love to be uncomfortable. And I think being a gender weirdo in my own community and being the stranger has forced me to reinvent myself and to always be a bit on the edge. On the edge is where the growth happens, where there's new things, where there's culture, where there's art, creativity. I love to be on the edge. And yes, that's uncomfortable because you're never quite sure. But if you're sure it's boring and then like nothing happens, I, I can't stand it. So I think I'm very used to being in uncomfortable. I mean, I put myself in Afghanistan where it was 55 degrees. I didn't speak the language. And I was like, what is going on? And I loved it. Love it. Because you feel alive. And if we try to try to abandon death that doesn't happen to us, we're actually not alive. So the more I am confronted with life and death <laughs> and how vulnerable we are, that's where the beauty is. And vulnerability like where you're uncomfortable, you're not quite sure if you're safe. In fact, you're vulnerable in that time. I love being in that vulnerable space because that is the perfect, beautiful environment where you can actually make real relationships with people. So how has A-Linker served your personal purpose or mission or has it? I just do what makes me happy. <laughs> I built a community that I need to survive. Um, so I'm not helping people to, to your, to your point earlier. Um, it is, um, yeah, I, I just, if I'm not happy, then I can't be a good member to my community. If I'm miserable or angry or bitter or something, I'm a nasty member in my community. So I want to show up well in my community. So I need to make sure that I look after myself, that I'm healed 
or in healing and that I am as happy as can be right now with whatever is happening. Now, would that be the advice you'd give to someone starting a social initiative or is there anything else you'd suggest? Never do it for external motivations. I want to build a business. Why? (laughs) Like Just follow your energy and um, follow what makes sense and stay true to what your gut tells you. And your gut is different than the ideas that you might have that are conditioned. Like, I'm not good enough. That's a conditioned, that's not a gut feeling. So to, to, to learn the difference between what is a conditioned story that I'm telling myself or what is a deep gut feeling that, you know, you feel in the back of your head, it's like, oh, this is not a good situation. In a boardroom with white guys, for example, saying like, we want you to suffer a little bit harder, a little bit more um, uh, bootstrapping because the risk for us is too big. That's the world out there, right? To really accept that we in community have everything that we need and no system controls me because I'm in charge of my life in the community that I built and that I'm part of. What do you see as the most important sustainable strategy? Because like with anything, a good idea is a good idea, but how to make that sustainable? What do you think is the most important in considering that? Stay true to what is sustainable. Like people waver a lot because there's the scarcity of I need the money and I need this and I need that. Don't waver. Like be clear what you do, why you do it and stay true to the why. And don't be for sale just because you need the money. It will bite you in the butt later. So very, very true. And every entrepreneur has to remind themselves of that on an mm-hmm. ongoing basis. <laughs> so uh, Try rapid, me. <laughs> rapid fire questions. Just the first thing that comes to your mind is, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Which of your strengths do you rely on most to have the success you have achieved? Boldness. Besides your beneficiary, which beneficiary do you think needs the most investment, time, research, money? etc. Me. (laughs) Best business advice you've ever received? Stay true to your values. Who is the greatest influencer in your life? My grandma. What three values do you live by? Congruency, kindness, respect. Thanks everyone for joining us. You can subscribe to Wisdom Exchange TV so you can receive each new interview notification in your inbox. Please share this interview by going to the share button located on the page. The interview is available in podcast and video. If you know someone who had a significant social impact, please go to the wisdomexchangetv.com page and submit their information. Then our research team will take it from there. And if you're looking at more meaning in your life, join the YouMeWe community, Women Leading Social Impact. Visit us at yumiwi.ca to get access to diverse resources. I always love to give the second last word to our guests. So be, and by the way, in my next life, I am coming back as B. B E. I love it. Mm-hmm. As as I know it's an evolved name that you've you've selected, but it is the perfect name and just makes me Calm. <laughs> Wait, I think it's something from the universe. Um, my names in my passport are Barbara Elizabeth, so I am BE. And then Barbara didn't fit me, and Babs didn't fit me, and Barb and Dick, all those names. 
And then my partner, Vanessa, started calling me B. And I was like, oh, of course. So it's also my pronouns, B. Just B. I'm just B. Just B. I love it. Now, do you have any words of wisdom for our audience regarding making a conscious contribution to society? Make a conscious contribution to yourself. And that way you're a better part of a society that we can build together for us and by us instead of a society that makes money over the back of people. Great. So be good to yourself, be kind. Great, thank you so much, B. And until next time, make your contribution count for you, me, we. This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. Watch, listen, or read interviews with conscious contribution leaders who are having a social impact on our communities and beyond. WisdomExchangeTV.com